Hey, are you tired of sending Jeff Bezos into space? Well, (laughs) who wrote that? You can tell our writers are back. Uh, If you are, uh, there is something you can do about it. You can order my book, Malraux and the Midnight Organ Fight, from your local indie bookseller, now in paperback. That's right. If you have a hardback version of the book taking up tons of space and you want to Marie Kondo your living situation, uh, order the paperback version of Malraux and the Midnight Organ Fight from your local indie bookstore. They will love you for it. You probably know the names of the people who work there. You don't know the names of anyone on Amazon besides Jeff Bezos, and he's in space. And who goes to space for 11 hours? It's like, uh, oh, hi, is Jeff in? Uh, No, he's not. He's currently in space. But he'll be back by about 7. You want to call back? Yeah, I'll call back then. Uh, Who does that? I mean, like, come on, man. Go go into space on the varsity level. Spend 10 months up there eating space pasta. And uh, and then see if you like being in space. All right? Jeff Bezos. I'm sure Jeff Bezos is not listening to this podcast. Uh, what is the book about? Well, it's a book about two teen detectives trying to solve a series of murders one particularly bloody summer in San Francisco. Yeah, there's some dark stuff in there. There's a Russian guy who swings a cleaver and wears a crow's mask. There are ninjas in Tom Ford suits. There's illegal midnight surgeries at a metal club. You know, teen stuff. There's also a love story. I promise. There really is. I know it doesn't sound like it, but there really is a love story in Malraux and the Midnight Organ Fight. This is the first in a series of mysteries featuring our pal Malraux. So let's keep Jeff Bezos out of space. Order my book, paperback version, from the indie shops, not from the Amazon monster. Okay? All right. I mean, if you have to, you have to. But let's try not to. Okay? I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. You've been told, your body knows, wake up, too slow, your feet up. of my guest today on the program, Elroy Finn. Let me tell you a little bit about Elroy Finn. The New Zealand poet John Allison once wrote, In dividing the light, things are seen, and we notice ourselves. Well, that division of light and the ensuing glimpse of one's true self is the perfect description of the work of one of Allison's fellow native New Zealanders, Elroy Finn. 
Finn's debut solo album, simply titled Elroy, is a shimmering collection of sonorous indie pop that manages to be both spare and textured at the same time. Finn is a master of musical light division, and his work is brimming with lo-fi folk, thoughtful psychedelia, pure poetry, and a lot of heart. A multi-instrumentalist, Finn is no stranger to the stage, having toured with Wild Nothing, his brother Liam, and, as part of his dad's band, Crowded House. But in crafting the gentle song cycle of his album, Elroy Finn took a long look at himself, and that kind of honest introspection yielded results that are both intimate and universal. The songs are bleached in sun, doused in surf, and then coaxed into the clouds where they hang as resplendent as stars. Catchy, bewitching, and infectious in the most deliciously subversive of ways, Elroy is a revelation, an artistic triumph that's as charming as it is beguiling. And that's a great way to describe Elroy himself. You'll see. He's charming, he's beguiling, and he's very friendly. So here's my conversation with Elroy Finn, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. because I I didn't really know what I was doing while I was making it for the most part. I was sort of piecing it together and learning all the kind of crafts that I I needed to learn to get the result that I had in my head. So um, it took a long time because I also did most of it on my own, which, you know, is cool to have the absolute control. Um, but then it's also kind of a lot more time consuming and you, you go in circles a lot more often. So that, you know, it's not necessarily what I'd do again, like, as far as being completely in charge, but I do, I do enjoy that as well. So, um, but yeah, I'm feeling good about it. I'm feeling excited for people to hear it and to, you know, um, give it its due because I spent a long time on it. Yeah. Yeah. Are you the kind of guy who doesn't tell anybody you're doing it or was it something you were keeping to yourself or did people know you were working on your, on your album? I mean, my friends and family obviously knew I, I wasn't keeping anything a secret per se, but it was quite a while before I felt like I'd made um, something that I reflected what I wanted it to be and therefore felt comfortable sharing with people. So I was, you know, a little secretive while I was getting my chops together because it was probably, there's a lot of people that I'm surrounded by that are pretty good at this craft yeah. as well. I, I, you know, there's a certain standard that I would want to be keeping up um, before sharing stuff overall. Yeah, and on that note, I mean, it's the temptation would be to talk to some of those people and say, can I run this by you? But you decided not to do that. And was that a conscious decision to sort of, you know, make all of the executive and creative decisions on your own and not ask for help? Uh, it, it, it wasn't actually that, you know, black and white. I, I definitely did play things to my friends and family throughout the process just more towards the end of it obviously just because that's where it sort of 
things started forming, but but friends and family had um, you know opinions, and and no one was gonna get controlling or tell me what to do, obviously. But um, but I definitely took a lot of things on board that you know people had to say, and I did get some help from um, some friends that were mixing engineers towards the end. Just I, I wanted it to still sound the same, but there was obviously things that I just didn't understand about EQing or compression that I just needed a little bit of help to make it a presentable piece, but left it kind of how I heard it in my head, yeah. How do you do with um, with when people give you notes? Are you, do you feel kind of fragile when someone is like, let me give you some advice or let me, let me here's my take on that. Do you have to like brace yourself before you get that comment? No, not, not really. I mean, I'm pretty aware of my limitations where I have them and and I also feel you know confident in my abilities where I've got them so anyone that's got um an opinion or something like that I, I, it's generally pretty valuable whether you agree with them or not it's it's worth paying attention to because it's everyone's going to listen to it differently or hear things differently so you may as well try to encompass something that will please everyone's ears you know and so without compromising on your vision of it obviously right. but, um but yeah no it's there's a there's no use in being too sensitive or um, or precious about you know things when it's only people trying to help really. Yeah, I I feel that because I'm a writer and I always feel that when someone criticizes a, a, something that I've done, there's always a part of me that thinks like I I can always tell if they're if they're right. I I know I can usually tell. I'm like yeah, I kind of I have to admit that I felt a little weird about that too. Yeah, you know. Also, nothing like um, playing someone, you know, something you've been working on, or in your case, letting someone read something, or it it really makes you immediately notice the stuff that needs to be addressed. Like, because you're used to hearing it, and you're like, I'll get to that someday. But then as soon as someone else is in the room, you're like, that's not going to be like that. And you're trying to do disclaimers right. or something. And you're like, I needed to have sorted this shit out before. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, it's a good... Um, it's a good sort of kick up the ass to, to finish things and to be proactive because you, you know, yeah, it's just a, a subtle pressure. That's quite good. I think. I agree with you. And, and I think that's why it's important to, even though you do something in, all by yourself, it is important to sort of put somebody else in the room creatively. Yeah. Right. Even just oh, like I, play it for a friend. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's much healthier. You can sit in your own head about things for far too long in the creative yeah. arts world and question yourself and question the ideas or, you know, any number of things. Um, so yeah, it's really important or, you know, it can go both ways. You can get some helpful critiquing or you can just get some enthusiasm and someone goes, that's amazing. And then you go, cool. I don't need to worry about all the stuff I'm worried about. You know, like, um, not that everyone's saying that it's amazing. I just mean, you can be reassured in a way that, um, is really helpful to stop yeah. you going in circles yeah i found that i was working on a piece and i remember the time this is maybe a year ago and there was a girl i was with and i said oh let me, she said can you read it to me and i said sure i'll read it to you and i was so excited to read it and as i was reading it i was like oh fuck that mm. sucks that yeah. sucks that's okay that sucks and i realized that i was hearing it totally differently than i was reading it had I been reading it to myself, just knowing that there was another pair of ears listening made me just hear it totally editorially from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. It's a great vetting process in a way. It just sort of makes you realize what needs to change pretty quick.
pretty quick. Yeah, that's, I agree with you. Um, what do you think your, your strength is creatively? Like, where do you feel most in the pocket in the whole creative process? I find it the most fun, you know, like, I, I really love to collaborate with people, but I haven't really found that person yet that I have full simpatico, you know, like we've got the same schedule, can spend heaps of time together working on stuff. So, um, but I guess creatively, I, I kind of like losing myself into a piece of music for an evening and having a glass of wine and just, um, yeah, nerding out, I guess. It's, it's um, I, I, sometimes I'll pick up a guitar and try and write a song start to finish, but generally it's sort of like, it's a bit more pieced together in the early stages and I'll throw a bunch of stuff on, you know, on top of a beat, an electronic beat with the intention to replace that with real drums later and then just sort of throw things on until there's a vibe and then try and strip as much away again before losing the vibe, you know, but to not clutter it because that's the, my immediate, you know, impulse is to just add things and add things and add things and then you reach a point where it's sort of, you don't know if, you've got a vibe, but you don't know if there's a good song underneath it because you're using all these sort of techniques to trigger stimulation rather than maybe finding an emotional core of a song and, mm. and pursuing that. So it's good to, I try and keep everything in the forefront. I don't, you know, I don't want to be neglecting one facet for another necessarily, but um, creatively, yeah, it's sort of, I wouldn't say I'm a conventional songwriter per se, um, but sometimes that that can be how they come out. Because a conventional songwriter would just sit down on a stool with an acoustic guitar kind of to me. Yeah, maybe that's a, a completely made up romantic thing that <laughs> no one does, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't do it. You know, I like to play guitar a lot, um, but it's sort of, yeah, I get, Normally I'll have a little melody or something going around in my head and I'll just need to figure out what the music underneath that melody will be. And that's a starting off point for me normally. If you sing a little line in your head and just make sure you record it right away because you always think you're going to remember these little things in the shower or something. And then even 20 minutes later, you're like, oh, I forgot. And it's gone. So gone. Yeah. yeah. You really got to be disciplined with the voice memos app and, um, and keep on top of that. Yeah. It's true. Why is your your inclination to throw a bunch of stuff in the stew at first? Like, where do you think that comes from? The idea of like, let's just throw a bunch of things in and see if we can texture it up and layer it up and throw some beats in. Um, that that's really interesting to me to hear you say that. What what is that temptation or that reflex that makes you like to do that? I guess it's sort of like giving yourself the best chance at creating an atmosphere and. Uh at a certain point you can over clutter things and you lose yeah the the actual specific elements and i also am a strong believer in leaving a lot of space in songs not that i followed this on my on my first record <laughs> um, but maybe since i've i've sort of found an appreciation for the the power that exists in music when there's a lot of space and, and not an over um abundance of ideas coming at you at once so as much as, like I said, it's a temptation to just you know, throw a lot of ideas at something to begin with and, and then um, I never leave it that way, hopefully, moving forward. I just always want to cull and refine it and sonically clean it up and then hopefully you're left with something quite presentable. Um, but yeah, it's just sort of giving yourself the best chance at feeling a vibe while you're making it and then you can 
kind of ride that enthusiasm as a wave and yeah if you if you get onto a role in the early stages of making something i find that's like the golden moment and you've got to finish as much as you can in that time otherwise you you kind of struggle again coming back to it you you forget the enthusiasm that you had for the part that you've made and then you kind of trying to write lyrics about it or something and you don't have the same connection that you had when you first made it so right. i think that very initial um moment of creation is really valuable and and should be pursued and not entertained like you shouldn't go and have a break because you've earned it yet you just got to keep getting as much out as you can while that um kind of moment is there i think yeah it's interesting to think about like you have this idea for a song and you start building it with textures and beats and nuance and layers. It'd be interesting to, you, to hear if you ever then strip it back down again and see if you can find that skeletal core. Yeah, well, that, that's the goal really. I mean, otherwise you would end up with a piece of music that's probably gonna be far too stimulating or far mm -hmm. too distracting. There's not one motif that people connect with. There's too many and so it's sort of distracting. Um, but yeah, you, it, that's the goal essentially, yeah, for me is just to try and take away all the elements that seem like they're serving a purpose, but maybe are actually just distracting the listener from what's actually connect, uh, what's, you know, connectable <laughs> in the yeah. song. Um, you've got to leave that open for them. You, you can't be clouding it up with too many synths and guitar licks and things. Yeah, because I remember years ago, I finished a book, I turned it in and my my agent said, uh, we love it. We got to cut about 35,000 words. And I went, what? It's <laughs> a lot of words to cut. And yeah. I kind of realized I had done the same thing that you're talking about where I had almost cluttered it up. Right. And, and that when they stripped away those 30,000 words, nothing had changed. It only just got better and more immediate. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's a funny thing because you, you'd think that you, by adding content or, or things that you've sweated over that it's all going to be part of the actual message that you're trying to send or put right. across but often yeah there, there is a clutter and things that can be just made more concise and more presentable and I think it's yeah there's a directness that comes if you work hard at that process and and it it's a lot more powerful as a, a piece of work to connect with people I think I, years ago, I interviewed one of my favorite bands. They're called the Trash Can Sinatra. They're this pop band from Scotland. They're still around. And um, I was asking him about, you know, the, the first album compared to their ninth. And he was quiet for a second. He goes, God, the first album had so many words. <laughs> and I love that first album. But I go, I go, yeah, you're right. Like you have, like you don't sing as many words. And so um, his lyrics got more economical. And so when you're talking now, you're already saying like for the next album, there will be more space. You're already talking about, right? I mean, I, I'm, I wouldn't like guarantee it because I, <laughs> I'm i not gonna make an, a record, but I guess I, what I mean is like, lately I've been listening to music that has a lot of space and I'm I'm learning about why it's working, you know, why that yeah. it gives you um, more, you know, more of an emotive response than what you'd think naturally you'd just get more of a reaction from more parts or more ideas but it's just not not the case it seems so i i would go into the next record with um well i've already begun the next record but um i'll go on that with the back and with that concept in the back of my mind i'm not going to make a cello and flute 
duo album with heaps of space in it but um but hopefully keep keep it yeah keep that in the back of my mind whilst whilst creating it yeah no one's gonna hold you to the space idea but but it is kind of cool I, i just yeah i think as long as i keep reminding myself that that is a good thing to try for then it may just you know find its way in, into the record hopefully subtly yeah and and the the space becomes as much a part of the song right like the absence of something is as much a part as the things that are present yeah and i mean if you've got if the elements that you have got in there are recorded well or they've got a sense of room sound about them or you can hear some natural you know um natural characteristics of the room that it's in that space is is the stuff that really carries you know the the you know a pleasing sonic um textures you know i think yeah hearing a room or hearing an instrument the air move in the room is actually more powerful than than can be kind of even described so all the old sort of jazz recordings and things like that where it was probably just one or two microphones in front of the band and they were all playing dynamically to be able to hear it on the record but those players were also good they could do that and as a result you just feel like you're in that room when you're listening to it or you can kind of visualize what that room was like when they were doing it rather than um if you're using a lot of midi sounds or a lot of electronic sounds they don't have that about them they've got other triggering stimulating sort of characteristics but it's not a mysterious you know what happened in that room that day vibe it's like it's kind of in your face um check out the sound and it's more maybe more instantly gratifying but um and i think that's just the way music's going people are are using sample based thing uh you know beats and and really repetitive sounds because they are immediately engaging for for the listener and i don't know if you're going to get the the benefit of um you know emotional connection but that's not really what most people are are wanting in a song anymore sort of a something yeah. to do or dance to or you know make them feel excited yeah they want they want movement yeah right and drops and drops. you know triggering things that are just going to make you get a moment of uh, elation you know that's what it seems like yeah they don't want nick drake no one wants to be introspective right now yeah yeah not not right now which is you know maybe doesn't serve me so well because I grew up on Elliot Smith and Nick Drake my whole life. So <laughs> I'm going to try and take elements of those and um, reintroduce them to the world through <laughs> a more user-friendly uh, approach, maybe. I don't know. No, I, I, it's interesting because I teach college for a living and I ask my students, I'll say, do you listen to lyrics or beats? And it's like mm. 99% beats, 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 you know, like, People go, you know, lyrics aren't that important to, to the to these university students. Um, so, which, which verifies what you're saying. And as somebody who who you know, I'm a writer, so lyrics have always been so important to me. It always is so disappointing to hear them say that. Yeah, I mean, I, it's a sad reality, I guess. But it's also, I guess, it's really hard to write good lyrics. I mean, some people are, are amazing at it, obviously, and some poets are, you know, can cross over as well. But it's um it's just something that I personally find really difficult. And there's a line where you're either a storyteller type of lyricist or you're abstract style, or you're just super on the nose. Um, 
it, there's all these different routes you can go and it's always been the most challenging part for me so i mean maybe the movement towards people listening to the beats more as a result of the fact that writing lyrics is really hard to do well and maybe there's not a lot of a lot of good lyrics out there i don't know yeah um, but yeah i'm not casting shade on the whole modern no, music no. With, with being no, bad no. at lyrics but it doesn't like you said it's not really a main focus for a lot of popular music now so i mean at least not in the mainstream it doesn't seem not to in the mainstream be, yeah right yeah yeah i mean it, it's um you know, it's interesting because I think that the the whole idea that you were saying lyrics are hard for you and like sometimes I'll have students who will say like, you know, my paper is so hard to write because I'll write a few sentences and then erase them. And I'm like, mm. don't erase anything. Just keep it all there. We, you can erase it later. Yeah, um, yeah. When you're writing your lyrics, do you, do you do the same thing where you're like, oh, I don't know about that one? Or do you, like, how, how do you decide what stays and what goes? Um, it, it'll obviously depend on like the the way the song has come about um if i've started it with a a vocal phrase in my head then you know that's a great starting point because you've already got some idea about what the um the vocal will be doing whether you've got the lyrics or not you've kind of got a melody that can dictate whether where the music will take you but um i guess i'm sorry i've kind of already walked myself out of the question what was <laughs> <laughs> well just in terms of like for you know where you were saying that that lyrics are hard for you or that's not the oh, yeah. part right so when one when when lyrics do pass muster with you right like, um, how do you decide i i don't know I, I guess if i genuinely try and look for things that sound right first um okay even if it's gibberish I'll, I'll sing gibberish over a, a passage for you know an hour and and then or double track and do a few, you know, a few versions of gibberish. And then sometimes that combination of no nonsensical words will sound like another word or a, a, will sound like a few words in a row that might um, then dictate. Yeah, generally a, a way a word sounds over a piece of music is really important to me. It's got to feel good to sing it and the phrasing hopefully will complement the, the rhythm underneath and things like that. So if you get that and you get a sense that that fits in then you're kind of limited to finding lyrics that fit into that sentence or the amount of syllables or and then you've kind of got some parameters that they're limitations obviously but they can be quite helpful to dictate what you actually end up saying because then it's less about oh my god i have to be really poignant here i've got to figure out the most poignant line it's like this is literally the only thing that's going to fit so you've got to do that and make the best of it and i think you know maybe that doesn't seem like the most, um, I don't know, uh, emotionally direct way to do it, but it just seems like as a limitation, it kind of helps me, um, yeah, get get a, a roll on with lyrics. So it's almost like a feel, like how it has to feel right. Y yeah, the words have to just feel good to sing, even yeah. if they're not words yet, the, the phrasing just needs to sit well. And then, you know, syllable wise, there's certain, certain amount of syllables you can fit into something and a certain amount that you can't. So um, you can think that you've got it perfect, but then you can try removing half of them and slowing it down or um, saying half as many words or taking twice as long to get through the amount of notes that you're singing. Like right. a few different techniques that I would try and use each time to make sure that I'm getting the most interesting thing out of it. Because obviously your, your go-to 
thing as a as a creative can be consistent you can end up doing similar things all the time so you don't want to do that in my in my opinion it's right to, to push yourself to try and find a new spin on it
in in all the time I've known you, the th 25 minutes, my feeling is, is that you're a very disciplined guy. Like it, it seems to me that you are not afraid to start working and then finish when it's dark out. How, is that a perception true? Are you, can you be that much of an architect? Um, yeah, I find it goes in, in phases. Like sometimes I'll feel like there's no musical part of me at all and, and I'm gonna not, not do it for a while because I just don't feel inspired. But then other times, I think more so than it being, it is, it is a matter of discipline because it's easy to not do and not work on stuff and, right. and feel too hard, especially when you're working on your own. Um, but I more so would say that when I do feel inspired to be working on something or excited about it, then that's the moment that you should be really spending the time on it. Like you, you can sometimes make breakthroughs even when you're uninspired by just doing it, um, but it's pretty hard. And I would more so find that you, you're probably gonna do your best work while you're enjoying the process and while it's feeling exciting. Um, so yeah, it's, I wouldn't say I'm a structured person with, with my work, uh, like nine to five or daylight yeah. hours versus nighttime hours. Cause I, I also like working at night quite a lot. Um, so yeah, there's a, I think I'm disciplined enough, but there's always, you know, room for improvement. Cause I also like sitting around and watching shit on TV. So that'd <laughs> <laughs> be a healthy balance. Yeah. I, I totally get it. Um, do you think you can hear the night in your music? I mean, can you, can you actually, is that something that you're, that you can, is sort of, um, it, which kind of emerges when you play your stuff, can you actually hear the mood of the night? Yeah, I'd say overall my, my perception of the, the record is a nighttime vibe. I don't yeah. know. I mean, the album cover I painted is at nighttime, obviously. So that kind of maybe is part of it, but maybe I made that the cover because it had that energy in my, um, in my thinking. So, uh, yeah, I feel like it's a little bit more of a nighttime record, but it's also not a nighttime club go out partying record. So, <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I'd say it's nighttime, but maybe I'm gradually move, going to move towards a dusk for the next record and then earlier and earlier until I get to noon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, the, the goal is to get to noon. Yeah. Um, when I get to high noon, yeah. High noon, but I don't know. I, I, I'm the same as you. I like to work at night too. And part of it has to do with the idea that I like the idea that people, most people are probably sleeping and it feels like the atmosphere is open to yeah. work in, right? Like it just feels like it's like a unique time between two and five or two and four. Yeah. There's less distractions often yeah. as well. Um, you're not getting called or texted by people. And also you don't feel that sense that anything else is happening. Like, right. obviously if it's a weekend and you've chosen to stay in, then yeah, that's the, the intention there. But normally, you know, if you're working into the night, there's something relaxing about knowing that most people are just chilling out if they are, you know, it's something that uh, it's comforting for some reason. Yeah, there's certain albums where you can actually, you can hear the night or you can hear the mood, you know, yeah. there's a cohesion, uh, like Sinatra's like September of my years is like, it's just like a, a twilight sad album about you know getting older like it's just it's it almost hangs over the whole record in a really beautiful tragic sad way yeah um, the tangible thing yeah yeah right right and your record like you can hear the night um i think in, in my writing i think it's all it's all takes place in the in the evening too 
There's no, there's no morning poems where people are having a cup of coffee and going, this day looks fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and but that being said, I, I have full respect and am in awe of people that make that style of music. Me too. Because it's different to what I naturally do. And, and um, I think it's cool to try and expand those horizons of what you'd naturally do to not just do them um, because it's your go-to to kind of push yourself slightly out of the comfort zone and you can get some weird results doing that so yeah that's true in a good way hopefully but yeah it's interesting because the this album you're talking about now was probably wrapped like when did you think you finished it probably a while ago right it was a very long time ago now i i had a, a kind of a small um very very soft release of it here in new zealand a couple of years ago and just had a, a pretty rough experience with organizing everything myself uh, due to sort of a pretty unprofessional communication with a label and then I was organizing my vinyl and then they ghosted me for about six months and took half the money and then I eventually made them pay me back because they kept delivering these um, test pressings filled with clicks and pops that were just made the whole experience really horrible and then they were denying they were there. It was just terrible. So I had this kind of rough trot um, upon finishing this record, which it didn't it didn't make me lose um, belief, you know, entirely or anything. But it, it was a little bit of a. It didn't go as smoothly as I would have liked, but um, yeah. I, I didn't expect like a huge success from it because it's a quite an obscure record for most people, I would say, and it's not going to be on radio and it's not going to be. Um, you know, something that's getting people dancing, like I was saying before, but um, yeah, it, it just, I just wanted people that I respected and, and liked and loved to hear it and that, that happened. So that's kind of, I feel fine about it, but now this is a great opportunity because I finally will have vinyl and um, Grand Phony, the, the label that's going to help me put it out in August is um, come on board. So that, that'll be cool to have some help this time. I think there's, I learned a lot by doing all the little um, extra elements myself, like in regarding, regarding publicity and organizing, you know, um, all the other stuff that you don't really want to have to do. Um, yeah. I, I learned a lot by doing it, but at the end of the day, it's a lot better when you're not the person um, reaching out to someone going, hey, I've made this, <laughs> trying to get your attention. Can you listen to it? And then people don't reply and you're like, I probably didn't need to know that you didn't reply to that. Like someone else could have just been the buffer in the middle and never let me know. And therefore you just don't um, think about extra, you know, perception things or elements of the industry that you actually, I don't care for them. And I don't really want to be part of um, a lot of, you know, every industry has got facets that are, are gross and, yeah, uh, and, a, you know, not really fair or they're not really, uh, um, I don't know they just seem more like big corporation stuff than but I guess I just yeah I'm excited now because it's, it's a chance to put it out like properly have vinyl which is kind of all I wanted to have at the beginning but it's taken a long time so yeah it'll be good come August record will be out properly and and there'll be vinyl which I've uh, waited quite a while to to hold in my hand so it'll be a good yeah feeling. but that's a terrible story I mean that's hearing that is just is awful because I think like you know 
that's bad business, obviously. They, they did a terrible disservice to you. Um, that must have been a tough one to walk off and thinking like, these people were horrible to me for no reason, you know? I mean, yeah, I've, I've, I've got a pretty real sense of this industry, thankfully, because I've got a lot of friends that, have, that are a bit older than me and that have been doing this a long time. And also, obviously, my family's um, in the same industry. So yeah. I've, I've had a lot of opportunity to, to witness and see people, um, you know, struggle in these early stages of a career at, at, to find your feet or to find your audience or all of it. So I've got a pretty um, realistic view of how things can be. Obviously, it's not fun when you're getting ignored by anyone, but um, right. it, it's just, it, it just was kind of a comedy of errors in a way, and that's how I'm going to choose to look back on it, just be like, well, there was a few things that went about as badly as they could have, um, and what, what choice do you have but to not you know, have a laugh about it? Because anyone that takes themselves too seriously is, is going to struggle um, putting out good energy, I think. Yeah. If you're feeling bitter or if you're feeling hard done by that that doesn't put out a nice energy for people generally and and it can be felt um on stage or in your music even moving forward um so i want to avoid any sort of um vibe that's related to that that's a really healthy attitude because i could see some people who don't have that methodology in their in their uh, or that ideology um being incredibly crushed by that experience and think like I'm gonna go sell real estate instead of getting out of this business I mean I you know there's definitely moments where where I start thinking well what else could I be doing and I still haven't figured out the the answer so I'm kind of like not stuck with music but until I get really sure about something else I think I'm gonna just keep keep going I mean yeah it's a it's a strange industry and I know it's getting harder and harder to to be rise to the top of the you know, pile of, oh, there's so much music out there and there's so many people doing it and the industry itself's changing and the way people listen to music's changing. So it's it's a lot to kind of think about all at once, but if you just don't think about it in those broader sense, sort of that scale and just bring it back to what you get from it and why you're doing it. And why I'm doing it is because it makes me feel good when I'm making music and if it can make someone feel good when they're listening to it, then that's a, an amazing thing to to do. And a record, you know, will exist whether it's successful or not forever. So it's a it's a nice thing to know you've created something that will be um, around after you've gone. You know. Yeah, you're definitely in the right industry. I, <laughs> you're you're where you need to be for sure. You just need good people to bring your bring your music to the right people. But um, <laughs> that was that was a, a rough start. But I think your perspective is so. Uh, refreshingly positive. I think that's, I think that's great. Um, and, and I also think that, you know, sometimes the things that you learn, you know, if everything goes swimmingly uh, from start to finish, you know, it, maybe you don't learn as much. So like you were saying, maybe this was instructive, right? Exactly. And I, and I mean, it, it would be an amazing thing to find um, large success when you're in the early stages of your career, but it can also be quite a damaging thing if things don't, um, you know, work out, or obviously there's risks of being tied into some agreement that you didn't know you were signing, but then there's also the fact that if you get wildly successful all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden your next record isn't got the same vibe and people aren't responding the same way, you kind of, I mean, I guess you might lose perspective of why 
you got to where you are in the first place because you'd think well I should be able to get these people's interest again but to get a moment like that you've got to have so many stars aligning um it it's kind of a really mysterious thing so to, to have success would be a wonderful thing and obviously really good for validation and confidence and stuff but the moment that it's not um as tangible or if the energy shifts and all of a sudden you don't feel like the coolest new artist that i can imagine that being really hard thing to go through yeah Um, which i guess is why a lot of you know artists do get big and then they can't maintain it because they're kind of like why is what you know the the difference between um what you had and then what can happen after that is yeah i guess it would be really hard i don't know I guess if you started with the other way around, then by the time, if you do get successful, you kind of figured out what you're doing and, and you know what, like how you work and what is good about your workflow and what's good about your results. And you're more confident in your ability, I think. I think you're right. And because this album was probably done in, what, 2019 or 18? Yeah, I, 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 like I finished it in 2018. 18. Okay. So, I mean, a lot of time has passed since then, including a pandemic where there was a high concentration of time at home. Yeah. I would imagine that you've got a couple of records written at this point. I think. Um, yeah, I've, I've definitely got um, another record that's a, a decent amount um, done. I kind of still need to finish the lyrics on some of them and uh, re- redo the vocals on some of them because... Um, I mean, I work at home a lot, but I can't get um, the kind of vocal sounds that I'd want to get here because I've only got a pretty basic 57 microphone. But um, but yeah, so I'll go to the studio and, and um, get that sorted probably in the next month or two and hopefully have another record to come out um, maybe next year with any luck. How are you with travel in terms of where we are in the world now, playing gigs and touring? Is that is there a level of anxiety about like, is it safe or do you feel okay about everything? I mean, as far as my own projects, my own project goes, I, I mean, I would love to to do shows around the world if, if possible. It would be, I haven't had a vaccine yet. So I'm waiting, kind of waiting for that until mm. uh, I can go anywhere, obviously. Well, I could, I could travel, but it would just be a lot less stressful for me um, if I get that sorted first. But um, I've also been super lucky. I uh, joined my dad's band Crowded House last year and we finished a record while we were um, all, we started it uh, before the pandemic fully um, broke out and caused the lockdowns and everything. So we, we'd gotten all the rhythm tracks done in a studio together. And then by the time the pandemic happened, we just canceled one week at the end of the tracking process. And then we had all these rhythm tracks to kind of um, overdub and stuff at home over Dropbox. So, oh, wow. Um, so we we were really busy last year and then amazingly got to do a tour of New Zealand in March uh, this year while the world was still mostly, um, you know, at home while struggling with the um, the effects of this this pandemic. So, yeah, I felt so lucky to even be playing live music. It had been two, uh, two years, I think, since I'd done a show um, once we finally got going in March. So it felt like a huge cathartic sort of release because I'm normally you know I've made a living from playing drums with other people for most of my life so I was a big part of who I am so it was really nice to scratch that itch again but yeah for touring this record I would love to tour it um I guess 
maybe towards the end of this year, early next year, I might have some opportunities. Yeah. I hope so. And, and doing a crowded house record, did it also inform the way you would do things for your, your own stuff? Did you go, Oh, that's a good way to do that. I pick you know, in other words, picking up some ideas for your own yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not, not like I could um, necessarily attribute a specific idea that I learned and put it into this one song, but definitely um, learned a lot, you know, just from being around the, the other members of the band and, and seeing how um, a project works as a band. And we, we kind of, we dad, my dad, Neil had written most of the songs um, to a degree beforehand. So they're his songs, but we would all be welcome and open to um, other ideas and contributions. And it was a, it was a collaborative effort once we were in the studio, which was really cool. And obviously that can't really translate back to my own stuff when it's just me, but there's production techniques, there's recording right. techniques, there's all sorts that I was able to pick up. And Mitchell Froome, who's also joined um, the band, who's an amazing producer with a really amazing kind of resume of, of work. So he he's obviously a, a really interesting guy to talk about music with as well. So And my brother Liam is a great artist. So, and so the whole band's very talented and I feel, yeah, there's a lot to learn from everyone. Yeah, it's it's a talented band. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's no doubt about that. By the way, speaking of space, Mitchell Froome is a guy who has always made good use of space. Um, I remember on that Ron Sexsmith album that he produced, I think it was the first one, um, the, the spaces in those compositions, the way that he produced that album, it's kind of amazing, actually. Mitchell's, he's got a very, very musical mind. Um, and it, it's he's got a... A lovely amount of taste as well. He's got strong opinions, and and um, but he's also very open to trying things that he, he wouldn't actually think of. And you know, he's not um, ever going to make you feel silly for putting an idea out there or whatever. He's, right. but he does have strong opinions. So, um, but yeah, there's there's always there's so much to learn from people like that that have just the sheer amount of records that they've made. Um, it, it gives you an un, you know invaluable kind of level of. Um, knowledge i guess about the whole it's a mysterious art form so to, yeah. there's no one ever figured it out fully but those sort of people have done it so much that they're definitely uh a lot more in tune with what it's all about i think yeah i've always felt you could hear a, an album he produced you can tell it's him by the space between mm. you know like latin, whether it's latin playboys or or sex yeah. myth or whatever but um yeah so it's interesting that you mentioned that at the beginning of our chat um as a californian my my sort of romance with New Zealand was always through these sort of indie pop bands, um, whether it was the Chills or the Verlaines or, yeah. um, you know, Sneaky Feelings. I would get pretty obscure. And I always yeah. sort of like, I was always curious if, you know, if New Zealanders are, had the same kind of affection for those bands as well. Was that, were those bands that you paid attention to at all? Yeah. I mean, there's a, a huge amount of respect for that whole scene and, and it was, a really um, quite an amazing era of, of music in New Zealand because th there was this cult scene that formed out of Dunedin and, and Christchurch and it, it sort of has still got this incredible um, well, credibility worldwide. People respect yeah. uh, flying nun bands and, and not just that label, but uh, yeah. So there, there is a, a lot of respect here for it, but it is, it is really interesting how, um, especially in America, it seems there's this real following of New Zealand, um, you know, 70s, 80s sort of underground 
records yeah it's really cool yeah i just watched that movie on the chills do you ever see that the documentary on them i haven't seen it yet but um but i really want to uh, martin's a, a friend of ours so um yeah i really want to see that yeah it's a great it's a great watch um it's also it's fun to chat with you at this point in your career because i think you're going to be doing some amazing things and it's just so interesting to hear how you constructed all this stuff and how you think about music and um you know in spite of that of the rocky business start i'm glad this album is going to get the attention it deserves and get into people's hands because it's remarkable remarkable work oh thank you that means a lot appreciate that yeah and i hope you'll come back on the show and, and talk shop for your future albums yeah yeah that, that'd be that'd be cool Elroy Finn. What a nice guy. Really lovely to chat with him. You know, I love his album so much, and I heard it like 10 times, and I thought, okay, I have a handle on this. This is great work. I get it. But then by the 20th listen, there were these textures and nuances that I had completely missed that were incredibly surprising and rewarding and beautiful. It's that kind of an album. It's really rich, and I can't wait to hear what you think. So go pick up a copy. You can order it from Grand Phony, uh, grandphony.com. That's Grand Phony Records. Also, follow Elroy on Instagram. He's a good follow, Elroy TF, and that'll keep you posted with all the goings-on in Elroy Finn's life. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me, uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor or on Instagram at Embers Podcast or just email me editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Visit BombshellRadio.com to find out what makes our radio station tick. And a reminder that Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. I defy you to find a platform where we are not available. You could probably find one. Um, and then... This whole bit is worthless. But if you find one, send me the name of it, and we will get on that immediately. Go to the one that you use in the meantime and subscribe. Tell a friend. Leave us a nice comment. You know how the whole thing works. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Worth the Wait by Elroy. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time. Thank you, as always, for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio. You've been told Your body knows Wake up Too slow Your feet up Are you worth
Is it worth the way? 